My name is Brandon Reddick, and I am the lead pastor here of the Bridge Church, where we exist to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. Thank you again for being here with us this morning. In case you guys were concerned that I was going to forget to say my favorite line, here you go. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we ought to rejoice and be glad in it. We are in our series uh, studying through the book of Acts. We are in Acts 13 this week. Last week, Pastor Mike was with us, um, and he preached from Acts 12, and so we'll preach just a few verses on this morning from Acts chapter 13. To our worship team, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your service on this morning for setting the atmosphere for us to receive the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. And we'll begin with verse number 1. Acts 13, verses 1 through 12. The custom here at the Bridge Church is to stand um, in honor and reverence to God's holy word. And so if you are able and willing to stand, we would uh, ask you to do that in reverence to God's holy word. Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse number 1. If you need a physical copy of God's word, we do have some at the back table on the hospitality table for you. Feel free to slip out right now uh, and get you one if you need one and travel there to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And here's what thus saith the word of the Lord. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. 
And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. <laughs> then the proconsul believed. And when he, when he had saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The church in Antioch has now become a very influential church. She has probably overtaken the mother church as far as influence is concerned at Jerusalem. It was the church in Antioch that we studied a couple of weeks ago, and we learned that this church in Antioch was committed to mission, to maturity, to the ministry of mercy. And it could be said that Antioch is now a model church for churches in the 21st century. Today, we're going to see the Holy Spirit move through this church as she shapes the church. But we'll also see how God uses the schemes of Satan himself to save. Friends, even Satan is an instrument of God. Even Satan will one day have to bow down to, to almighty God. Satan, for him to do anything, to do, he still has to knock on the doors of heaven and say, God, can I have your permission? Oh, yeah, he's a roaring lion, but he's a lion with a leash on him. Thanks be to God. Look with me briefly here, and I won't be before you long today. Look with me first of all at the spirit-led call in this text. Verses 1 through 5. You're going to have to listen closely because I forgot to give my notes to the AV team. The spirit, first of all, look with me at the spirit-led call. Verses 1 through 5. The call to mission takes place in the context of the local church. The local church, this, this local church at Antioch, is led by spirit-filled, multi-ethnic leadership. I didn't make it up. It's in the text. There is Barnabas, who was a Jew from Cyprus. There's Simeon, who was called Niger. Um, that means he came from Africa. He looked, huh, well, like Africans. And then... Not only was there Barnabas, a Jew, Simeon, an African, where his Niger, by the way, means black. And then there was this fellow by the name of, I said earlier, Lucius. You probably say Lucius. Y'all, I'm going to allow you to stereotype this dude for a minute. His name was Lucius. <laughs> now, I hadn't met everybody in this world, but the only Luciuses I know. Okay, you got me. And then there's this fellow by the name of Manaean, and he was the friend, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. 
This was Herod, by the way. This was Herod Antipas. This was the same Herod that Jesus called that fox. The same Herod that Jesus went before as he was being moved from kangaroo court to kangaroo court upon his crucifixion. Friends, there's this spirit-filled, multi-ethnic group of leaders. And it's in the midst of this local church context. In the midst of this local church that's being led by spiritual leaders that the call to mission comes. But by way just, just let me pull over to the side real quick and tell you that a church will never rise above its spiritual leadership. The greatest cap to the growth of any church is its spiritual leaders. These men were spiritual. How, how do we know these men were spiritual? Because the text says, after they say that, they, that these group of men are leading the church, it says they were worshiping and fasting. Lord, let me be a leader that's committed to worshiping and praying and fasting and not just trying to be in control. And not just to stick out my chest and say, you know, I'm, I'm the elder at the church or, or I'm the deacon at the church or I'm the leader of this ministry. But, but I want to be mostly identified by a man that's devoted to God. That's not just for the leaders in the church, but that's for the leaders in the home, the leaders on your job, leaders in, 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 in wherever you are. You need to be identified by, by I'm devoted to Christ. Friends, we don't get to put on our hat on Sunday mornings and then when we get to the job on Monday morning, take it off and say, well, now I'm in the sake of the secular. No, you are a spirit-filled Christian on Sunday and you're a spirit-filled Christian on Monday as well. So anyways, let me pull back on the highway here. These, God can do great things through a spirit feel, spirit control, spirit sensitive church led by spiritual leaders. I want us to notice that the local church, remember this call, to mission comes in the context of the local church. Church, I want us to know that the local church is God's plan A for reaching the nations. I thank God for our parachurch ministries. And I thank God that, that they are doing great things to reach the nations. But God's plan for reaching the nations is the local church. We cannot just outsource reaching the nations to our parachurch brothers and sisters. It begins with the local church. Matter of fact, parachurch, para in the Greek means alongside of. The, the parachurch ministry, there is a place for that, but they are to come alongside the local church. It was the church, friends, that, that Christ died for. It was the church that Christ commissioned to make disciples of all nations. And the church in Antioch understood this. All I'm simply trying to tell you is that God works through the local church to drive his mission. And God has empowered the local church, the church at large, 
by giving us the Holy Spirit. Notice here in the text that it is the Holy Spirit that leads the call. It is the Holy Spirit that calls men to be on mission. It is the Holy Spirit doing this. Many times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, unfortunately, the Holy Spirit has been reduced to simply charismatic chaos when he's actually the God of order. I don't look for spirit-filled people by if they can just talk in tongues, if they can just shout on Sunday mornings, but I, I want to see a spirit-filled Christian who's committed to mission. The, the, a a spirit-filled Christian is one who's, number one, the, the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the life of, uh, of, of people is to convict them of sin, hopefully leading them. Uh, he then gives life to dead men. So a spirit-filled Christian is number one, or a spirit-indwelled Christian is number one, one who's been saved. And then, as the spirit indwells and lives within this Christian, that the spirit will then, as we allow him, he will begin to bear fruit in our lives. How do I look for a spirit-filled Christian? That there's love, joy, peace, kindness. Patience. These are the marks of a spirit-filled Christian, but a spirit-filled Christian does not just have these personal fruits that's, that you can see in their lives, but a spirit-filled Christian is on mission. We used to sing a song in the church uh, uh, when I grew up as a little boy uh, we, or a younger boy. We, we would say, they were saying, I am on, uh, I, when I'm on my mission, Lord, will you guide me? Look, when I'm going from door to door, oh, y'all need to get some Baptists in y'all. When, when I'm going from door to door, will you guide me? Emmanuel, can you play that? I exactly. He needs to get some Baptists in him too. <laughs> Mission. And friends, look at this. So it's in the midst of corporate worship that this call is given. The Holy Spirit speaks to one of these men and tells them to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which he has called them. And then the church affirms the call by the laying on of hands. Notice the process by which the call to mission is given. It's led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit calls, and then the local church affirms the call. It is the local church that, according to verse 3, that sends them off. The, 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 local ch the church at Antioch was just as excited about folks coming into the church as they were about going. They, they were just as excited about sending people as they were about people coming into the church. Friends, we need to be just as excited about sending our best people for the sake of mission. Watch this. The Holy Spirit says, set apart who? Barnabas and Saul. When we met the church at Antioch um, a few weeks ago, the church of Jerusalem said, okay, we got this new church plant. And so we need to send them some support, some people to establish them. So guess who they send? Barnabas. 
Barnabas is the head honcho. He says, well, you know what? There's somebody who's probably, uh, who's probably more gifted, because I've got the gift of encouragement, so I can establish them in encouragement, but there's a fellow down up in Tarsus by the name of Saul. So I'm going to go get Saul, and Saul's going to help me lead this church. They take the two men that no church will want to lose. And they, they get excited about sending them. Here's the question for the British church on this morning. Are we ready to send our strongest people? Are we ready to send the best and the brightest and y'all think y'all the best and the brightest, huh? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Are we ready to lose those people where if you lose them, it feels like there's going to be a big hole in the church? We need to be ready to send the best people on the mission field to start a new church where there's not gospel-centered churches. Look, look at the responsibility of these sent men, missionaries. Verse 5 says, And they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. This, friends, is the primary task of the people of God who are on mission for God. To proclaim the word of God. To proclaim the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, so let's think about this. I'm sorry I don't have my map this morning. So Jerusalem is here, okay? Then they're going to go northwest for you, northwest to Antioch. Antioch is a coastal city. It's on the coast, and, and, and all that's next to it is sea. And so now, the gospel is about to move west. Okay, some of you are thinking Wichita geographically. West. Which means that they're going to have to cross Somebody, a body of water to get to land. And now this gospel movement is moving west. Hell takes notice. Let's move on. Verse 6 through 11. We see this spirit-led call, but as soon as there's a spirit-led call, we're going to see a satanic-led confrontation. A satanic-led confrontation. Friends, whenever the word is being proclaimed and whenever the gospel is spreading, hell gets busy. Satan gets busy. Friends, Satan is the enemy of truth. He is the father of lies. And so what he does here in our text is he gets one of the ambassadors from the kingdom of darkness to do his dirty work. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So the gospel is spreading west. It, it, it's going to unreached people groups. 
And Satan says, I got to keep this from happening. It's gone far enough as it is. We've got to contain it so that it doesn't. Satan, he, he is on high alert because not only is it going, is it going west and is it spreading, but now it's going to the highest class of people. In India, when I was in India, they said our strategy for reaching India, because there's a caste system there, they said if we reach the highest caste, then that will just uh, uh, fall down into the lowest class. And so their strategy was let's reach the highest caste of people, and then we'll have no problems reaching the lowest class. Caste, excuse me. And so now Satan sees this happening because now the word of God is about to reach the, this person that supported the high caste, a proconsul, a, he, he is one who is like the senator of this province. His name is Sergius Paulus. And, and Satan knows that if Sergius Paulus is converted, then many more will be converted. So Satan says, I got to do something about this. And so the text says that there's this false prophet. Who, who's with Sergius Paulus, his heart, whose heart was being softened to the word of God, so much so that this proconsul invited Barnabas and Saul to proclaim the word. Notice what this false prophet does. He opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Friends, this is the primary goal of Satan. You've heard me say this before, but let me remind you. When you face satanic attack, Satan wants one thing ultimately, your faith. As much as you love your spouse, Satan don't really want your spouse. But if he knows your spouse is your idol, he's going to attack you through your spouse. But guess what? He don't want her. He really don't want him. He wants your faith. If he attacks your health, he don't care about your health. He's the prince of the power of the earth. He don't want your health. He wants your faith. If he attacks your finances, the money ain't what he's after. He's the prince, y'all. He's got, think about all them celebrities that don't know Jesus. They got all kinds of money. He don't need your little old $2. He don't care about it, but he knows how much you care about it. He doesn't want your finances. He wants your... Talk back to me then. If he attacks your family, he don't care about your kids as much as you do. He wants your... So Satan in this text, he goes to this proconsul because he says, I want your faith. I don't want your position. I don't want your power. I don't need your relevance. I'm all about your... That's what he's after. Friends, spiritual attack will happen, but no, Satan is ultimately about your faith. Spiritual attack is going to happen in your personal life, and it's going to happen in the life of this church. And we ought not be surprised when we experience Experience spiritual warfare, neither at home or in the church. Friends, let me tell you something. The, when we proclaim the gospel, it is a declaration of war on the kingdom of hell. Rewind. 
Help me then. The gospel is a declaration of war on the kingdom of darkness. Look at how Saul handles this satanic opposition. Saul, the text says, he stands flat-footed. And he looks at him intently. It's eyeball to eyeball. Now look, you come to me, and I know you oppose me, and you look me in my eyes, that's fighting time. Box, st don't step in my square. It's time to box. Paul stands flat-footed. He's now, the Bible, by the way, he says he saw his name is now, we're going to refer to him now as Paul. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Roman name. So we'll now talk to him as Paul, uh, refer to him as Paul. And so now Paul stands flat-footed. And let's watch this. He says, you son of the devil. He wouldn't have, listen, if that were me, the old Brandon. Y'all think, think I'm sweet and just a big teddy bear. Listen, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, y'all. And you just couldn't be a big teddy bear on, this, on my wrong side of the tracks. You had to learn to defend yourself. And so the old Brandon, that one that wasn't as mature as he may be now, you called me the son of the devil, you wouldn't have got no more words out. You would have been missing a tooth or two or three. He says, you son of the devil. Watch this, y'all. What's the name of this false prophet? His name is Bar-Jesus. Okay, whenever you see Bar-anything as a name of somebody, Bar means son of. Isn't it ironic that this false prophet is named Bar or son of Jesus? Son of Joshua, the son of salvation is a false prophet and so Paul is playing he's using a play on words here he 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 the son of Jesus he says you are really the son of the devil you 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 villain y'all too much Paul stands flat-footed and opposes him to his face why is Paul able to do this? The text says, verse 9, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what happens here. We have this repetition here, the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit speaks in the first section. The Spirit calls, and now the Spirit feels. One of the things that I've been most convicted of as I was thinking through this sermon this morning, the Holy Spirit said, one of the things that I've been most convicted of is that oftentimes it's, it's, it's easy to fall prey to human ingenuity rather than relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. How are you going to, people ask me, how are you going to grow the British church? How are you going to make it more multi-ethnic? How are you going to do this and how are you going to do that? And the first thing I want to do is come up with the strategies or share the strategy that I've come up with in my mind. When I really need to tell them, well, the Holy Spirit is going to have to move. I don't care who it is. If the Holy Spirit is not in that thing, it won't be sustainable growth. 
And so one of the things that I want us to be as a, as a church is we want to be a spirit-led church. Now, does that negate any planning? Heck no. God, but I think the Holy Spirit will lead the planning. And so now Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's under the control of the Holy Spirit. Is now able to speak to this person who's working for Satan. Friends, the good news is that God, whenever we experience spiritual attack, God has given us everything we need to withstand spiritual attack. Paul looks at him right in the eyes and calls him out, and after confronting him with his sin, he pronounces the temporary judgment of God upon Bar-Jesus. He says, Bar-Jesus, you're now going to be struck with blindness. You do remember that it's this same Saul that when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road was struck with blindness. And now watch this. What God did to Saul, now is God's going to do through Saul. <laughs> Friends, some things that happen to you, God's going to use through you. God would never waste the suffering of his saints. That's for free. I got to get back on the highway. He says, you're going to be struck with blindness. This man is now struck with blindness. And now this physical malady would be able to show by Jesus the condition of his soul. When you are blind, you literally walk in darkness. And so not only would Bar-Jesus do this from a physical standpoint, but Bar-Jesus would be able to understand that your soul is living in darkness. He was, he, he would learn that he was a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. And the truth be told that without Jesus Christ, all of us are like Bar-Jesus. We, we are people who walk in darkness. We, the, we are born into the, the kingdom of darkness. Oh, but through Jesus Christ, you can be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. You don't believe me? Look what happens. Verse 12. The text says, that though Bar Jesus was subjected to darkness, God led Sergius Paulus out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Verse 12 says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So we've seen a spirit led call, we've been, seen a satanic led confrontation, and now we see a spirit led conversion. And friends, this is what I was saying earlier, that even Satan is an instrument of God. God uses the attack and the schemes of Satan to demonstrate his power and now to bring this Gentile to faith. And it was through spiritual warfare that this pagan was brought to faith. Friends, as I close, 
Let it be known that when we encounter spiritual warfare for those who are in Christ, we fight not for victory, but we fight from victory. The Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Friends, we, we are already overcomers. We are already victorious in Christ Jesus. And God demonstrates in this text the victory we have in Christ Jesus by using the schemes of Satan to demonstrate his power and his ability to save. This church and Antioch was committed to mission. They were sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that they could receive the call of the Holy Spirit to send certain people to go proclaim the gospel in places that had never heard it. They were a, it, the Holy Spirit, I like to think about it like this, the Holy Spirit was the sending agent, the church was the releasing agent. Many times we get very territorial in churches. We want to protect our own. We, we, want to, we, we want to just be inward focused. But the church in Antioch says it's not just about being inward focused, but we must also be outward focused as well. We must have a bleeding heart for those who have not yet heard the gospel. But friends, we must also know that as we do this, we will encounter spiritual attack. Satan does not like it when God's people are committed to making sure the gospel goes far and wide. But God has already given us the victory in Jesus Christ. And God will use even those schemes of Satan for victory. Worship team, I'm going to invite you to come back.